0: faith power chapter six faith and enthusiasm faith is the underlying principle of that remarkable quality of the human mind which is known as enthusiasm It is its essence. It is its substance. It is its actuating principle. Without faith, there can be no manifestation of enthusiasm. Without faith, there can be no expression of the activities of enthusiasm. Without faith, there can be no exhibition of the energies of enthusiasm. Without faith, the quality of enthusiasm remains dormant, latent and static faith is needed to arouse it to render it active to cause it to become dynamic moreover the faith required for the manifestation and expression of enthusiasm must be positive faith faith in the successful outcome of the undertaking faith exhibiting its positive phases faith in the attainment of that which is desirable and which is regarded as good You can never manifest enthusiasm toward that which you confidently expect to be a failure, nor toward that which you feel will bring undesirable results and effects. Negative faith has no power to arouse enthusiasm. The presence of positive faith is necessary to awaken this wonderful latent mental or spiritual force. Enthusiasm is a mental or spiritual force which has always been regarded by mankind with respect often with a respect mingled with awe. To the ancients, it seemed to be a special gift of the gods, and by them it was regarded as animating the individual with almost divine attributes of power and as causing him to absorb a portion of the essence of the divine nature. Recognizing the fact that men under the influence of enthusiasm often accomplish almost superhuman tasks, the ancients came to believe that this added power and capacity arose from the superimposition of power from planes of being above that of humanity. Hence, they employed the term to define it, which clearly indicated their belief in its transcendent nature. The term enthusiasm is directly derived from the ancient Greek term meaning to be inspired by the gods. The two compositive elements of the original term are respectively a term denoting inspiration and one denoting the gods or divinity. The two terms in combination mean literally inspired by the gods. The present meaning of the term in its English usage is one, inspiration as if by a divine or superhuman power or two, enkindled and kindling fervor of soul or three, ardent and lively zeal or interest. The term enthusiast formerly was employed in the strictest sense of one moved or actualized by enthusiasm, but it has gradually acquired the corrupted meaning of visionary, fanatic, zealot, or one carried away by zeal or fanaticism. This latter meaning having arisen by reason of the intemperate actions and expressions of persons carried away by zeal or fanaticism, lacking the balance of reason and logic. The implied discredit arising in this way has in some degree extended to the term enthusiasm itself. This is much to be regretted for the term has an honorable history and in its true meaning indicates a most important and valuable quality of the human mentality. It should be needless for us to add here that in the present consideration of the subject, we're employing the term enthusiasm only in its true sense and with its most approved meaning and implication. It is interesting to note that in the history of the term enthusiasm, the word has been almost invariably associated with the idea of inspiration. The latter term originally meant breathing in and its figurative sense, it indicated a breathing in of divine or superhuman power. As we have pointed out to you, enthusiasm originally meant to be inspired by the gods. Later, the definition was extended to include the inspiration of great writers, poets, artists, and orators. Thus, Socrates speaks of the inspiration of the poets as a form of enthusiasm. In its present usage, the term enthusiasm has come to mean a lively, ardent, wholehearted interest in or devotion to a cause, subject, or object. And the word inspiration is employed to indicate an elevating, quickening, enthusiastic interest, which stimulates and animates the intellect and the emotions of the individual. Enthusiasm and inspiration respectively have traveled hand in hand through the centuries. Even today in the more or less figurative and metaphorical employment of these words, We find that the quality of enthusiasm is held to manifest and express itself in that quickening stimulation of intellect and emotions, which denotes inspiration in such modern usage. Here, the student of psychology finds another instance and illustration of the general rule according to which modern psychology employs the present knowledge of the subconscious to account for much that was formerly attributed to supernatural, or at least superhuman influences and power. Enthusiasm and inspiration, which the ancients believed to be the result of the breathing in of divine or supernatural essence, or the superimposition or supernatural or superhuman power, are now held to be the result of the aroused and quickened activities of the subconscious of that wonderful region of the mentality of man from which emerges so much of the greatest importance to him. In the subconscious of man, there abide many wonderful powers of mind and will. It would seem that man has merely scratched the surface of his mental capacity and power, and that great stores of power remain beneath that surface as yet untouched, awaiting the tapping of the mental tools of the individual. At times, under great stress and under great necessity, the individual seems to contact these hidden storehouses of power. And accordingly, he is able to perform work, which originally is far beyond his power of accomplishment. At such times, we say of him that he is veritably inspired. And he seems indeed to have breathed in some strange potent influence, which magnifies his powers and efficiency. But the necessity over, The individual usually loses his new power and sinks back to his ordinary condition. He has not as yet learned how to maintain or retain the contact once accomplished. William James, in his celebrated essay, The Powers of Man, called attention to this comparatively common occurrence, i.e., that of the sudden inrush of increased power in times of necessity. He compared it to the second wind, which comes to a person who has overexerted his ordinary physical powers. Such person, after feeling exhausted and fatigued to such an extent as almost to be compelled to cease his efforts, when he is almost out of breath, suddenly experiences a feeling of relief and finds that his second wind has come to him and that he is thereby enabled to make a fresh start. Professor James held that man not only possesses the power of developing a second wind in physical exertion, but also he has the power of developing a mental second wind in much the same manner. He points out to his readers that often when a man is compelled to perform mental work under an increased strain by reason of unusual necessity, and when, as the result of such effort, he finds himself on the verge of complete exhaustion, Then, in many instances, he seems to tap a deeper stratum of mental energy, and lo, his mind takes on a new freshness and manifests renewed power. The mental second wind thus attained, he is able to make a fresh start. James held that not only is the mental second wind capable of development, but also that there is the possibility of the development of a third wind, a fourth wind, and so on the limit not being as yet known. Others who have used the James theory of the mental second wind as a foundation for further speculation and experiment have sought to locate the storehouse of this latent second wind of the mind. They have pointed out that it must be stored away somewhere for it could not have proceeded from nothingness. These psychologists and others are practically in general agreement in the belief that this hidden storehouse is located in the great regions of the subconscious and that its stores are possible of being drawn upon only when the subconscious is aroused, stimulated or quickened by great interest, when it is inspired by a great feeling, in short, when it is filled with enthusiasm. The above stated conclusion agrees with our own general experience with your own personal experience. In fact, you have found that when you become quite intensely interested in a subject, object, study, pursuit, or cause, so that your enthusiasm is thoroughly aroused, then there comes to you a highly increased and greatly intensified degree and amount of mental energy and power. At such times, your mind seems to work with lightning-like rapidity and with a wonderful sense of ease and efficiency. Your mental powers seem to be quadrupled. Your mental machinery seems to have some miraculous oil poured into the proper place, thus removing all friction and allowing every part of the mechanism to move smoothly and easily with wonderful speed. At such times you feel indeed actually inspired. You feel that a new world of attainment would be open to you if you could but make this mental condition a permanent one. This increased sense of mental power, this increased ease of mental work, and this increased capacity for accomplishment. All these are manifestations and expressions of that second wind, which is one of the qualities of the subconscious and which is called forth whenever and wherever you can manage to arouse your subconscious faculties to a sufficient extent. You will find by exercising your powers of remembrance that in the cases mentioned, you have been conscious of a greater or less amount of enthusiasm, i.e. of a lively quickening of the interest in the matter before you, and toward which you have directed your concentrated attention. This enthusiasm has so stimulated and vitalized your intellectual and emotional powers that your reserve force of mental energy has been drawn upon, and you have become conscious of an inflow of efficiency and capacity in the performance of the task, duty, or work before you. You may readily see how and why the ancients believed this to be the action of a supernatural or superhuman power, which was breathed in by them, and which was, in effect, inspiration. Looking around you in your world of practical, everyday work and effort, You will see why businessmen and other men of affairs regard as an important factor of successful work that mental quality known as enthusiastic interest on the part of the persons performing the work. This enthusiastic interest in the worker task is found to call forth all the mental and physical powers of the worker. He not only puts into his task every ounce of his ordinary capacity, but he also draws upon that hidden reserve force of his subconscious mentality and adds that to his ordinary full energy. When he approaches the fatigue limit, his enthusiastic interest carries him on and before long he has caught his second wind and obtained his fresh start. Ask any successful sales manager for a list of the essential characteristics of the successful salesman, and on that list, you will find this capacity for or habit of enthusiastic interest occupying a prominent place. This not only because of its highly important effect upon the work of the salesman himself, but also because enthusiasm is contagious, and the lively, quickened interest of the salesman tends to communicate itself to the subconscious mentality of his customer. In the same way, the enthusiasm of the public speaker, orator, advocate, or statesman energizes and quickens the entire intellectual and emotional nature, thus causing him to do his best, likewise communicating itself to his audience by means of mental contagion. The man with his soul of fire tends to fire the souls and hearts of those around him. The spirit of the enthusiastic leader, foreman, or boss is caught by those under him. Enthusiasm is clearly a manifestation of the emotional phase of man's mentality, and it appeals directly and immediately to the emotional nature of others. Likewise, it is clearly a product of the subconscious mentality, and accordingly, it appeals directly and immediately to the subconscious mentality of others. Its effect is characteristically animating, energizing, inspiring, quickening. It not only stirs the feelings and sets fire to the spiritual nature, but it also stimulates and vivifies the intellectual faculties. The live wires in the world of men are those individuals who possess the quality of enthusiastic interest highly developed and habitually manifested when the occasion calls for it. Overdone, it defeats its object, the golden mean must be observed, but lacking it, the man is what is known in the idiom of practical men as a dead one. As we have previously pointed out to you, enthusiasm without faith is a mere term having no real substance or meaning, or else it is a sham, a counterfeit, a bluff, or perhaps a hysterical imitation of the real mental quality. The man of true enthusiasm does not gush, nor is he a visionary or a fanatic. These are the signs of the abnormal development or manifestation of this valuable quality. The man of true enthusiasm is characterized by his abiding faith in his proposition or subject, by his lively interest in it, by his earnestness in presenting it and working toward its accomplishment, and by his untiring into fatigable efforts on his behalf. Faith, however, is the foundation upon which all the rest is built. Lacking faith, the structure of enthusiasm falls like a house of cards. The more faith a man has in that which he is doing, toward which he is working, or that which he is presenting to others, the greater will be the manifestation of his own powers and capacity the more efficient will be his performance of that work and the greater will be his ability to influence others and to cause them to see things in the light of his own earnest belief and interest. Faith arouses and sustains enthusiasm. Lack of faith deadens and inhibits it. Unfaith and positive disbelief kill it. It is clear that the first step toward the cultivation and development of enthusiasm is that of the creation of faith the subject or object toward which you wish to manifest and express enthusiasm. If you have no faith in the subject or object of your activities, then you will never be able to manifest enthusiasm concerning that subject or object. And if you are unable to manifest at least a fair degree of such enthusiasm, then you will never be able to express your full energies or to manifest your full powers in those activities. Finally, If you are unable to express your energies to the full and to manifest your powers adequately in those activities, then you will never be able to attain the full measure of success in your work connected with that particular subject or object. If you cannot arouse faith and enthusiasm in your work, you would do well to change your work so as to have it cover that in which you can arouse faith and manifest enthusiasm. Faith, however, is not all that is involved in enthusiasm. Added to faith, there must be a keen interest in the subject or object toward which you have directed your expected attention. Interest adds zest to your activities and renders pleasant the tasks, which without it would be monotonous drudgery and slavish toil. Interest transforms toil and work into a labor of love. When you are deeply interested in a task, you like to perform the work connected with it. Interest arouses the creative instinct in the heart and soul of the worker. And all true creative expression is pleasant and is capable of affording satisfaction to the worker. The best work is not that work performed merely by the hands nor even that in which the head adds its work to that of the hands. It is only when the heart takes its place in the working partnership and adds its power to that of head and hands, that the really creditable and worthy work of the individual is performed. Interest may be aroused and maintained by an intelligent observation of the subject or object of the work. Everything is capable of arousing interest if you will look deep enough and long enough for its interesting qualities and properties. The discovery of interesting facts or qualities in anything creates new interest. This Mm -hmm. new interest attracts still newer interest, and this still further interest, until finally you find yourself quite deeply engrossed by the subject or object. There is an emotional satisfaction in the discovery of new facts and qualities in anything under your observation, and there is a similar pleasure in discovering improved ways of performing a task. Interest developed in a sufficient extent leads directly towards enthusiasm. Interest, however, is quite difficult to arouse concerning anything in which you have no faith. Lack of faith is a negative mental quality and it serves to deaden all the mental powers which are involved in the consideration of and thought concerning a subject or object. Still more harmful is a positive unfaith in a subject or object a positive belief that the thing is not worthy, not good, not worthwhile, not honest, not destined to succeed or rather destined not to succeed. Disbelief or belief directed toward the undesirable qualities or prospects of a thing, quickly deaden all interest in that thing and interest absent, the thing becomes hateful and all work connected with it grows loathsome. Faith being absent, interest dies, An interest dying or dead, there can be no enthusiasm felt, expressed, or manifested. Lack of faith, however, or even positive unfaith, often may be overcome by a careful and extended examination and consideration of the subject or object in question. Your lack of faith or even your positive unfaith concerning that subject or object may arise from an imperfect knowledge concerning it. Before discarding a thing as incapable of arousing and maintaining faith in your mind concerning it, you should examine it from every angle and from every point of view so as to be sure that you really understand it down to the ground floor. Do not allow your prejudices to exert an undue influence upon you. This is a most common mistake and fault. Get your facts right before you act. You may discover new facts which will change your whole mental attitude toward the thing in question, and you may thus find a firm foundation for a new faith in it. But having observed every precaution and having tested the thing from every angle and viewpoint, and having finally come to the positive and certain conclusion that there is not and can never be any faith in you concerning that thing, then there is but one course for you to pursue." And that course is to get away from that thing as soon as you can. Do so with due regard for your duties toward yourself and to others who may be interested with you in that thing. Time and labor bestowed upon a thing to which you have no faith and toward which you feel sure that you can never entertain faith is time and labor wasted. Get out and take hold of something in which you have or can have faith toward which, and concerning which, you feel that you can manifest and express enthusiasm. Life without faith and enthusiasm is a living death. Persons living that life are mere walking corpses. If you would be a live wire instead of a dead one, you must begin to arouse and develop enthusiasm in your heart and soul. You must cultivate that keen and quickened interest and that lively and earnest faith in what you are doing, and in the things to which you are giving your time and work. You must mentally breathe in and inspire that spirit of life, which men for many centuries have called enthusiasm, and which is the twin sister of inspiration. Then will you know the exhilaration of that enkindled and kindling fervor of soul, that ardent and lively zeal, the mark of true enthusiasm.